Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, we, we started this series, this is our fourth week, so we started a few weeks ago talking about hearing God speak, and that's what we want to learn to do. We want to develop our ability to know the voice of God, to be able to see what he's showing us, to be able to understand what he's speaking to us. And we started off in John chapter three, where Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now we know that on one level, when Jesus said that, he was talking about unless we accept Jesus, unless we are uh, become new creatures and know Jesus as savior, that we'll never make it to heaven. We won't be born into the kingdom of God. That's one level. But another application of that is that when we are born again, there is the ability to perceive things in the kingdom of God, the ability to see in the kingdom. Unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, if I am born again, that means I should have the ability to see. We use the analogy of a baby in its mother's womb. When a baby's being developed in its mother's womb, when it's eight months old, nine months uh, still inside of its mother, it's, it's developed. It has eyes, it has ears, it has fingers and toes. But those, those faculties were not designed to operate and reach their full potential in that atmosphere. It's only when they're born into another atmosphere, into another environment, where those faculties now have the ability to reach their potential, but they need to be developed. So once a baby is born, a baby can hear when it's born. And a baby can see when it's born. A baby can move its arms and legs around, but just because it can hear doesn't mean it understands what it's hearing. And just because it can see doesn't mean that it understands what it's seeing. There needs to be development. So that's what we want to do intentionally, spiritually. Thank God that we we are born again, but now we want to develop ourselves to be able to understand what God is telling us and to develop that aspect of our lives. So we've been talking about different things we can do to help tune our ear, to hear God speak, and to understand what it is he's saying to us. So the the first thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago is you need to fill yourself with the word continually. That the, the primary way that God wants to speak to you is from his written word. You need to make God's word a priority. What is your plan when it comes to the word of God? Tomorrow morning, what are you going to read? Do you have some method of approaching it? Get a reading plan. We can help you with that. There's a lot of different resources. So God's word is the number one, the primary way that he wants to speak to you. So you need to prioritize the word of God. The the first couple of weeks in this series, we gave you memory verses, verses for you to commit to memory. Someone asked me last week, hey, where was our memory verse last week? So we just went ahead and put together some verse cards on your way out. One of the ushers will give you one of these uh, perforated, I think there's 10 or so verses that go along with the series. You can grab one of these. Again, they're perforated. You can put it on your on your mirror, on your dashboard. Be intentional about getting God's word so into your heart. It's the primary way God wants to speak to you. But secondly, it also sets a foundation for everything else that God wants to say to you. That you, you tune your ear to know the voice of God by the word of God. We talked about how God's word is a cannon, a measuring rod. We compared it to having a, a level 
that when someone gives you a word or you feel a prompting, you have a desire in your heart, when you know the word of God, then you can take the word of God and hold it up against that other word. And if, it's, if it doesn't line up with a written word of God, you can dismiss it. You know it's not really from God. So for, for a number of reasons that we talked about, you've got to prioritize the word of God. Last week, we talked about getting clarity getting clarity. We talked about two things we can do to clarify in our lives. The first one was we talked about how clarity is a natural byproduct of purity. That purity brings about clarity in our lives. It, it applies to your, the windshield of your car. It applies to a, a glass of water. That The more pure you make it, the cleaner you make it, then just as a natural byproduct, it's going to become increasingly clear. So in a lot of people's lives, when they desire to have clarity, they, they almost don't need to pursue it. What they need to do is pursue purity. And as they pursue purity, the clarity naturally, naturally comes. And we need to understand when I sacrifice purity, I'm also giving up clarity. That it's not just making a small compromise when it comes to sin in my life. As I take that step, I also lose the ability to see. I, I, lose, I lose clarity in my life. So we talked purity brings clarity. And then the second thing that we talked about last week is if I want to clarify, then I need to magnify. We looked at Romans chapter 1. It talks about a group of people. That it says that they could clearly see the attributes of God. It says that they knew God, but then by the end of verse 21 in Romans chapter one, it says that their minds became dark, that they became confused. And we talked about how in the world does this group of people that it says they knew God, they had a knowledge of him, they could see clearly what happened to move them to where they were dark and confused and they weren't sure anymore and they couldn't see anymore. Well, it says that although they knew God, they failed to worship him or they failed to glorify, they failed to magnify and give thanks. And as a result, as a result of a lack of magnifying, their minds became dark and confused. So if I want to clarify, I need to magnify. If they moved the wrong direction, they moved into darkness and confusion from clarity and understanding by failing to magnify, it stands to reason that I can move in the right direction by being intentional to be thankful and glorify God and to magnify him. We looked at other passages to back that up. That wasn't just one little verse that we were putting a spin on. Proverbs chapter three says that to acknowledge God in all of our ways to acknowledge him. Father, today is the day that you've made. God, I give you, you're the one that gave me strength. Every breath that I have is from you. Lord, I, I acknowledge everything good in my life is because of you. To acknowledge him in all of our ways. What's the natural result of that? If I acknowledge him in all of my ways, then he directs my paths. We, we talked about Psalm 37, that if I delight myself in the Lord, God, I delight in you. I love your presence. God, there's nobody, anything I desire, Lord, nothing compares to you. You are the greatest thing that I could set my heart on. As I delight myself in the Lord, he gives me the desires of my heart. We talked about how that isn't just uh, him dropping treats out of heaven, giving me whatever I want, but literally he begins to change my heart to desire the things that he desires me to do, that my heart starts to love what he loves. And it begins to, the things that he doesn't want me involved in, I, I begin to lose a taste for those things. They become unattractive to me as I delight myself in the Lord. You know, God, God has a plan for everyone's life. He has a calling on everyone's life. There's, there's things that he has designed each one of us to do. It's important that we learn to hear God speak and we are sensitive to his leading in our lives. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that God prepared good works in advance for you to do. 
There's things that God has designed us, designed us to do. Jesus said that the very hairs of your head are numbered. So if God cares about you to the level where he's numbered the hairs of your head, then doesn't it make sense that he would also have given some thought to the giftings that he's put on the inside of you and the destiny that you have and the things that he wants you to accomplish? It wouldn't make any sense that he's busy numbering your hairs, but when it comes to, you know, what path your life should take, then he, he just, you know, I hadn't given any thought to that. I was busy, I was busy counting hairs. I, I don't know. It never ever crossed my, my mind. When Jesus was talking about the tithe with, with the Pharisees, he said, you should tithe, yes, in Luke chapter 11, but he says, don't neglect the more important matters. So he, he wasn't saying you have to choose either the less important or the more important. He was saying you need to address both of them. But that, that shows us that Jesus understands there are some things that are more important than others. And you shouldn't spend your time focused on the less important things and neglect the more important. How many think it's more important to know who to marry or, or what career path you should set on or how to handle your marriage or your children or, or just general guidance in your life, that that is more important than knowing how how many hairs that you have, right? So, so Jesus understands that the, the more important things shouldn't be neglected for the less important things. That God, God wants to guide us and direct us. And a lot of times we get it backwards. We think that God cares just about uh, a high level of things in our lives. He cares about whether we go to heaven or hell. And he, he, care, he doesn't want me sleeping with someone who's not my spouse. He doesn't want me getting drunk. He cares about that level, but this is the day-to-day -day things going on in my life. He's not concerned with that stuff. He's just kind of, kind of a big picture perspective. We have it backwards. Actually, God cares about the details more, more than you care about the details. The fact that he has the hairs of your head numbered, there's not a person in this room that knows how many hairs are on your head. And if you do, it's because of a lack of hair, not because of an abundance of concern, right? So God cares about a level of detail that you've never even taken the time to address in your life. He cares about stuff that, that you, you and I don't. God cares about every little detail of, of our lives. And in Jesus, God has given us a covenant, a new covenant, a way of relating to him and knowing God, that a key part of that covenant is access, that we have access to God, that we can know his voice, that we can have real relationship with him, that we can know him and be known by him. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, once his life ended and he gave up his spirit, what happened immediately? It says that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Immediately that veil was torn in two. That veil stood as a barrier between the outer courts between the holy place and the most holy place where the presence of God was, where, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only one person, one time a year, could, could pop into there real quick and hopefully get out alive. Access was very limited. But through Jesus, that veil was torn in two. That barrier was removed because a key part of the, the new covenant is it is a covenant of access. In Ephesians chapter two, it says that through Jesus, through Jesus, we now have access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. It's a covenant of access so we can know him. Access to his leading, to his guiding, access to his wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, who, who can know a man's thoughts except that man? Who, who can know God's thoughts except the, the Spirit of God? But we have the Spirit of God so that we can, we can know the leading, know the wisdom of God. God wants you to know his thoughts, know his leading, know his voice, but we've got to develop. We've got to incline our ears to hear. 
One of the things that we have access to in the new covenant is knowing Jesus as our shepherd. We've talked about Jesus being our shepherd a couple of times in this series, but if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about the good shepherd being the good shepherd. Let me read, starting in verse three, he says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Pay attention to how much the leading of the shepherd, leading the sheep is connected to the sheep knowing the voice of, of the shepherd. He gathers his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him. Why are they following him? They follow him specifically because they know his voice. And it says that he calls his sheep by name. Now, if, if Jesus wanted to lead us just as a generic group, that would still be wonderful. If it was just sheep this way, sheep this, this direction, that, that would be an enormous benefit to us. But God is so good that he goes beyond just general instruction. It says that he calls them by name. It means that God wants to lead you and I in a very specific way. That it's not just, hey, church, hey, group of believers. That it's Jim and Steve and Ron and Megan. God wants to call you by name. He knows the situation you're in. He knows what you're dealing with. And he wants to lead you in the decisions that you face in a real way that you can understand. He is a good shepherd and he wants us to know his voice. Let me read a couple more verses. From John chapter 10, verse 16, he says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So over and over again, the sheep responding, the sheep being brought to the shepherd, the sheep knowing where to go is connected with the sheep knowing the voice of the shepherd. You know, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say that they, they know my command or they know my instruction. They know the rules that I give them. He says that they know my voice. They know my voice. Because before you can value the command or the instruction that's given, you need to know who it's coming from, what voice is speaking those instruction, and that's what lends credibility and uh, applying the instruction that you've been given. If right now somebody handed you a note and you opened it up in the middle of service and it said, meet me out by the car right now. If you didn't know who it was from, you could just, that's weird, and just crumple it up and you go on with the service. But if you knew this is from my spouse, this is from my child, this is from my parent, that, that would change the dynamics of it because you, you've got to recognize the voice of who it's coming from before the instruction even means anything at all. So he doesn't say, hey, they know my rules, they know what, what I tell them to do. They, they recognize my voice. This week, I was watching some videos on YouTube illustrating this point, shepherds out in some other, other country, they were, they were illustrating how they could have a group of sheep out in, out in a pasture somewhere. There's several different videos, you can go and watch it. And they have the sheep out there and they would have different people shout commands to these sheep. They could shout the same exact command. And sometimes the sheep, if they're far enough away, they just kind of look up and then go back to grazing. Sometimes the sheep would hear the voice and they, they would start to move away. But when... 
when the shepherd of those sheep, they'd have multiple people do this, but when the shepherd of those sheep would begin to shout the same exact command, those sheep would start immediately moving towards the sound of the voice. It wasn't just the command, it was the one who was giving the instruction. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Let me read you verse five. He's in verse five, he says, they won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Now, I don't know a whole lot about sheep, but from what I understand, they're not supposed to be the smartest animals. That when you see them studying animals that they consider intelligent, you know, you see them dealing with dolphins, orangutans, chimpanzees, animals that are supposed to have some level of intelligence. Typically, you don't see people teaching, you know, sheep different tricks, jumping through hoops, and, you know, uh, there's not rescue sheep and those kinds of seeing eye sheep. They they don't, apparently, they're not just, they're just not intelligent animals. So when it says that they they hear the voice of a stranger and they, they run away, what do you think is going through the mind of a sheep? What, what kind, how do you think that sheep is processing the danger that says, I, I, need to, I need to move in a different direction? Do you think that sheep hears the voice of a stranger and starts to calculate the chance of risk and percentage chance of injury and say, well, I know that's not Steve's voice. And there's a tenor in his voice that sounds like maybe he's hungry and he probably wants to lure me over and, and eat me. Or I just don't like the, you know, the risk assessment going on. I've calculated and I'm going to just start to kind of move in the opposite direction. Do you, do you think that's really, do you think that's what's going on in the mind of a sheep that caused him to move in the other direction? I don't. I think it's probably more just a general sensing of something's off. It just doesn't feel right, right? If we could get into the understanding of a sheep, I imagine it's not, you know, running calculations and percentages. It's probably just like, eh, that doesn't feel, that doesn't feel right. So I'm going to avoid that situation. When I graduated from college, I wanted to be a youth pastor. That's what I went, went to school for. That was the desire in my heart. That's what I felt like the Lord was calling me to do. But I, I graduated from college and I had no prospects. I had no real, real plan. I didn't have any interviews. I didn't have you know, any connections. And that summer I was supposed to get married. I, I did get married to Beth. So I'm, I'm gonna be married in just a short time. I know I need a job. I know I need to you know, get my career moving, but it was just, you know, I graduated and that was it. So I went to where my parents were living at the time. I was staying with them, just working a, a little factory job while I was waiting to get married, wondering how, how am I going to become a youth pastor? At that time, I was really into running. So one day I, I went for a, a run. I came back and my dad said, hey, there was, there was a call for you while you were away. It was, it was a pastor. He wanted to talk to you. So I was excited and I called this pastor back and he said, hey, uh, I talked to your dad. He said, you were out for a run. Well, I'm a runner too. And so we started talking about running and we talked about different races that we'd done. And there was this like instant camaraderie. It felt like I was talking to a friend. We had, we had so much in common. He started to tell me about this position that he, he knew someone that lived on my floor. I was an RA and he'd heard great things about me and got my contact information. And he was pursuing me. He wanted me to come and be his youth pastor. And he told me where the, the town was, where his church was. It was in north central Pennsylvania, which at that time in my life, if you could tell me to point to a spot on a map where you wanted to live, it was right where I desired to. I wanted to live away from any, any cities. I wanted to live kind of rural Pennsylvania, which ironically, it's very similar to West Virginia. But that, that's where I wanted to live. And he started telling me about this position. We want you to be the youth pastor. 
And our, our church has a Christian school. We'd love it if you teach, teach the middle school and the high school Bible classes as well. Which to me, I told some of my friends, I, I would love to be able to teach Bible classes in a Christian school. And he said, oh, in the summer, we have a camping program. And we would love it if you would take the kids on camping trips throughout the summer. Well, I love to camp, so that was perfect. He said, sometimes what we do is we do horseback camping trips. Well, I've always had this weird little fantasy of being a cowboy and getting to ride horses. It was like, it was like every, if I could have written down, like come up with the craziest, most dream scenario position, working for a pastor that loves to run, you instantly have kind of a rapport with him, everything. It was like so incredibly perfect. So I said what you're supposed to say in situations like that. I said, well, let me, let me pray about it. But it, it was a no-brainer, especially since it was the only option, only option I had other than unemployment. So I said, well, let, me, let me pray about it. And I spent a few days just almost kind of just confirming, like, Lord, thank you. This is obviously perfect. But as I prayed about it, and I, I just couldn't get peace about this, about this job. I just couldn't feel good on the inside about, even though everything seemed so perfect in the natural. So I, I, I didn't take the job. I, I moved to Delaware where my wife was from, unemployed for uh, several months. I struggled to get work, ended up working for the state of Delaware for a while. And then I got a job working for a business for a couple of years. And during that time, I'm thinking, I, I must have missed it. I must have blown it. I must have gotten myself off track. I was volunteering at the church and eventually they let me intern and just get involved a little bit. But I was just thinking, I should have taken that job. I, I, I was off. I was off there. I, clearly I missed it. Well, come to find out that, that that church had had problems about a year after that. The, the school ended up crumbling. There was a split in the church. There was ugliness and all kinds of division. The whole thing just fell apart. God was sparing me. He was sparing me from that whole situation. That would have been my first full-time position in ministry, and it could have been a disaster. It could have hurt me. I could have become offended. It could have taken me out of, of ministry. God was sparing me from that. You know what my first position in ministry was, my first full-time position? It was, at, it was at this church. God was sparing me from that and creating a situation, preparing me for the spot that was right. He was leading me, and I didn't have details. I didn't have God speak to me or with a hand writing on the wall saying, listen, there's some people in that church that are causing trouble, and it's going to fall out like this. All I had was this thing on the inside that I was trying to be sensitive I don't feel good about, I just can't get peace about this. So, so one point today is we're continuing to learn how to hear God speak. Just one point. And I just want to press into it for a few minutes this morning. Watch for peace. Learn how to watch for peace. Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. The peace of God. Let, let me read it in the Amplified Version. And let the peace, soul harmony, which comes from Christ, rule, act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful State, Let the peace of God rule. The Amplified says, act as umpire. The word in the Greek can be translated umpire, ruler. It means to, to make decisions. So a ruler in the sense of saying yes or no. When we hear the word umpire, it, it, in our culture, 
you get the idea of a baseball umpire, right? And that, that's not a bad idea to have in your mind. You get the guy behind home plate. He's the umpire. What's he doing? He's saying, yep, that, that was a good pitch. Nope. That was a bad pitch. It was a strike. That, that, was, that was a ball. That we're supposed to allow the peace of God to function like that in our lives. That we, the peace of God is going to tell us, yep, that, that's good. Nope, nope, I would avoid that. That's, that's, that's not a good situation. Yep, go ahead, proceed with that. To allow it. He says, let, let. If it tells us to allow something, that means that you and I have a choice. You can either let it or you don't have to let it. When I played Little League growing up, my dad would, would come to my games and he would sit close to home plate and he would, he would cheer for me. But my dad had a very low tolerance for bad umpires. In almost all of my Little League games, my dad would start out close to home plate watching the game. But by the end of the game, he'd be watching from across the street because he'd get in an argument with the umpire and get kicked out of the ballpark. There'd be a big ordeal where he's arguing back and forth because you can submit to an umpire and agree with him or you can disagree with an umpire and say, no, I, I, I choose not to go. I don't think you're right in that. That's what happens in our hearts sometimes, that God wants to lead us, but we've got to allow the peace of God to rule or to reign in our hearts. We've got to submit ourselves to it, but you can't submit to it until you learn to watch for it and pay attention, pay attention to the peace of God in our hearts. Let the peace of God rule in our hearts. You know, Jesus gave us a different kind of peace than the world gives. The Bible talks about peace that goes beyond understanding. That thank God for our minds, thank God for the understanding that we have. But if we just go by our understanding, your understanding can only reach so far. There's only so many things that are available for your understanding. The peace of God has a further reach than what your understanding has. If I would have made a list of pros and cons, just using that story of going to Pennsylvania, if I would have just made a list of pros and cons, I would have had a lot of pros. Man, it sounds like a great pastor. I think we've already got kind of a relationship. He seems to really like me. It's doing all the things that I want. It seems like a good job. It's a job, otherwise I have nothing. And otherwise, I'm moving to Delaware with no jobs. I'm gonna be a husband and just kind of pulling my pockets inside out. Pros and cons would, would have led me down that, down that road. But I had something that could reach deeper and further than my understanding. Than my understanding. It was the peace of God. And thank God I, I allowed it to rule, to rule and reign in my heart and submitted, submitted to it. Now, thank God for our understanding. And when it lines up with peace, when it lines up with peace, then we can go with it. But we've got to train ourselves that when they disagree, we let the peace rule and we're willing to set aside our understanding, which is what we're told to do in Proverbs chapter three. That you use your understanding, but we don't want to lean on our understanding. We're not to lean on, to make use of it, but it's got to be submitted to the peace of God and allow that to rule in our hearts. So you can have situations that in the natural look really good, but the peace of God says, ah, it looks good. I don't have peace. And then you can have the opposite scenario. You can have something that looks like, man, there's so much uncertainty. People saying negative things. I just, man, I've got so many questions. Man, I just, I've got peace. You know, moving into this building is a scenario like that for me. You know, when we started thinking about leaving our old facility, which was a great facility. We had 27 acres. It, it was beautiful. Some of you were a part of the church when we went through this process. When I started sharing that I felt like God was leading us in this direction. First of all, this building didn't look like this. 
It was a decrepit old abandoned toy store is what it was. So it was just, you know, I think, I think we could make that a great facility for a church. And I began to share that with people. Some people were excited about, but not everybody was excited about it. Some people were angry about it. Some people were disappointed. People that I cared about, people that I loved, people that were upset, people were hurt, people were disappointed. There was a lot of questions. Can, can we turn this into a church? How is it going to work out? What about the finances? But in all the, the seeming confusion, I had, I had a peace that that's the direction we were supposed to go. In fact, I didn't have peace about not taking the step and stepping into some, some of what was unknown. So a lot of questions still need to be answered, but I had the peace of God leading me in that, in that direction. So we've got to learn how to watch, to watch for peace in our lives. It's like, it's like the Israelites when they're going through the wilderness, that God was leading them by a pillar of, of fire by night and a cloud by day. And if they were wise, then when that, when that cloud would begin to move, then they would move with it. And when it would stop, they would stop with it. That we've got to be like that with peace, that when the peace of God is moving a direction, that peace, peace isn't supposed to be something that we're pursuing and trying to chase down. It's something that you should have in your life, that you're just residing in the peace of God, that you're, you're, you're paying attention to it. So if it begins to lift and move, that you stay in tune and in harmony with the peace of God, and you understand maybe it's time for me to move along as well. That, that's what was happening in my life with that old church. It, it was great. It's serving another church perfectly right now, but I just, man, I don't have peace about this anymore. It's time, time to move on. Maybe you're familiar with the way that uh, an eagle constructs its nest. An eagle will build its nest using sticks and branches. I was reading about it this week. Sometimes thorns. One article even said sometimes they'll use stones. And an eagle nest can be enormous. I think the largest one was, was 20 feet tall and 10 feet across. They, they just continue to add to them year, year after year. They can, they can be a huge. And when they, they build their nests, after they've got the sticks and the branches and all that stuff in there, before they lay eggs in it, they'll go out and start to get moss, put moss in it. They'll take fur from animals that they've killed and line the nest. They'll use their own feathers. They'll find all kinds of nice, soft, comfy stuff and just line that nest really nice and make it a, a, just a cozy, comfy little home. They'll lay their eggs. They'll have their babies. And as their babies grow, they get to enjoy all that, the moss and fur and everything. But when it's time for those eaglets to move along, do you know what the, the mom and dad eagle will do? They'll start to pull that moss out, throw it out of the nest. They'll start to take the fur and remove it. What are they doing? They're making it so that that nest is less and less comfortable. It's not so cozy. Why? Not to be mean, but just to let them know it's time for a next step. It's time to move forward. You, you, don't, you don't belong here anymore. And so we've got to pay attention to that in our lives. The peace of God is, is starting to lift. We need to follow and allow the peace of God to rule and to reign, to be umpired in our life, to watch, watch for peace. I'll give you another example. I don't, I don't mean to talk about myself a lot this morning. I just, I just want to make this practical and show how it's played out in my life as, as examples. About, about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, I was the youth pastor. And th things in the youth ministry were, were going great. Uh, I love the kids. Pastor Christina was on part-time just to work with junior high. We had as many or more teens on a Wednesday night than the church had people on a Sunday morning. So it, it was going well. And a lot of people will view youth ministry as like a stepping stone, that they want to be something else in the ministry, but it's just kind of a 
get your foot in the door kind of job. I, I didn't view it like that. I, I, was in, I was in for life as far as I was concerned. I was gonna be you know, a 65-year-old youth pastor still trying to relate to the kids. I was willing to do that. That's the way I was, pro, I was all in on being a youth pastor. And things were, things were going well. But then I started to have this weird feeling in my heart that even though things were great and I loved the kids, it just started to, just didn't feel right anymore. It was like that, that eaglet in the nest that just didn't, it wasn't as comfortable. I, I, I got restless. I felt restless to the point, Pastor Christina remembers this, that Switchfoot had a song at that point called Restless. And I, I would have it playing on my iPad, playing on my phone, just as I would walk around. She'd hear Restless playing as I'd walk by her office door. It was like a, a theme song. I just felt this weird restlessness in, in my heart when it came to youth ministry, which was weird because I, I thought I would be doing it for, for the rest of my life. And as I'm getting restless with, with youth ministry, I started to have a different desire that I'd never had before. I started wanting to be a lead pastor in a small, struggling church. I even called another district and said, hey, I don't know if you have any small, struggling churches, but I would love to try to be a pastor. I'll send you my resume, and you can just let me know if, if there's ever an opportunity, which is a, a weird desire. I don't know if you know, most pastors, their desire is not for a small, struggling church. The typical desire is for a large, healthy church. You're usually not pursuing. But God started to put that, I, man, that, that was the desire of my heart. And I, I, it didn't even cross my mind to be the pastor of this church. This church, this church had a pastor. I was just trying to, to be sensitive to the peace of God in my heart, not even realizing that our church was becoming a small, struggling, struggling church. And so God, God was making a nest uncomfortable, leading me by peace. So when that door opened, the opportunity came, he'd already prepared, he was preparing my heart for it. So we, we've got to learn how to watch for peace in, in our lives, to pay attention to the peace of God, to let it rule. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. I want to share a few examples from my own life, but let's look at it play out in the Bible as well. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 22. It says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who is also named Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same thing by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than the necessary, these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Now, I want to keep reading in just a minute, but in context, people were, were 
causing a lot of trouble and heartache and confusion in the church, these new churches as the gospel was going out, it's telling them that, yeah, you need to accept Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and you still need to keep the law in addition to that. And if you've read the book of Galatians, you know what an enormous deal. This wasn't some small issue. Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, listen, if you start trusting in circumcision, you start trusting in the works of the flesh, you've fallen from grace. You're cut off from Christ. So this was a major issue that they were dealing with. And so as they addressed it, Notice the language a couple of times in that letter. They didn't say God spoke to us by an angel. They didn't say we got direction by a handwriting on the wall. We didn't have an open vision. What did they say? It, it, seemed, it seemed good to us. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. It just, man, we just have peace about directing, directing it this, this way. This is how we're supposed to, as we prayed about it, as we thought about it, as we talked about it, man, we collective, we, we really have a sense of peace. This seems this seems good that we approach it this way. Let's keep reading. Verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with the greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. So Judas and Silas, they take the letter, they deliver it. It says that they ministered for a time. Then verse 33 says, after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So they ministered in Antioch for a while. Then they, they were sent back. Okay, thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the letter. It really meant a lot. Now go on home. Go on and tell the apostles we appreciate it. Tell them we all said hello. And so they're, they're, they're on their way. They had their suitcases. They're heading to the bus stop. It's time to go back to Jerusalem. But while they were, were heading back, Silas just says, you know what? You, you go on without me. It just seems like, it seemed good for him to stay there. He's got no agenda. Got no other reason for staying in Antioch other than it, it seemed good. It seemed good that he did. Verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. So Paul says, hey, you know what? Paul and Barnabas were, were ministry buddies. They were partners. They traveled along, around planting churches. Paul says, you know what? Let's run the circuit again. Let's check in. And so they're getting ready to go. But Barnabas wants to bring this Mark character along. And it causes a fight so intense that they decide, you know what? Our, our partnership is broken. Barnabas takes off, leaves town, takes, takes Mark with him, leaving Paul alone in Antioch without a ministry partner. Jesus sent them out to minister two, two by two. It was important they would travel with a ministry partner. So there's Paul. He's just been left by Barnabas. Verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren of the grace of, the grace of God. Now, what would have happened if Silas had have caught that bus back to Jerusalem? 
But instead, you know, it seemed good. He had no other reason. So when, when Paul is looking for a ministry partner, who just happens to be just hanging out in Antioch looking for something, looking for something to do? And the rest of the book of Acts follows Paul and Silas and the work God was doing in them and through them. God was directing his plan, directing the course of Silas's life because he was sensitive. Man, I just, man, I... When I pray about it, I don't feel right about going back to Jerusalem. I, I don't know. I don't have a reason for it. I just feel like I should hang out here for another week or so. He was, he was watching for the peace of God. Again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let, let it happen. Allow it to rule. Let, let it matter. Let it help make decisions. Yes, yes or no. Let it rule where? Let it rule in your heart. Now, where, when it says heart, it doesn't mean the, the blood-pumping organ in your chest. It's talking about your spirit. Be, be sensitive to your spirit. Let the peace of God rule in your spirit, man. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this. For his spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm or to bear witness that we are God's children. Now, I, I quote that verse uh, at the end of almost every service when we give an invitation for people to be saved. That part of what it's saying is the Holy Spirit lets us know, bears witness, tells us, tells our spirit we belong, we belong to him. But there's another level of understanding that. Let me read it in the Amplified Version. It says, the spirit himself thus testifies together with our own spirit assuring that we are the children of God. So one, one understanding of that is his spirit testifies with our spirit. So if I was gonna testify to my wife and tell her something, I would be testifying with her. But another understanding would be if we were testifying with each other and the two of us were testifying together. And so let me read you what I copied right out of a commentary. It says, it assumes, that language assumes the concurrent testimony of the human spirit with that of the divine spirit. That the testimony of our spirit is concurrent with the Holy Spirit. They are co-witnesses. They are witnessing, they are witnessing together. So inside of you is your, your spirit. And if you are a Christian, you've been born again, also the Holy Spirit. And so when we're talking about being led by peace and being aware of this co-witness happening on the inside, let, let me just try to illustrate in my mind what this kind of looks like as I think about the peace of God ruling, ruling in my life. Can I get my, my helpers here real quick? Give me a hand. Take your time. <laughs> grab that, grab that t-shirt. You waiting for entrance music or what? Get up here. Let me set this down. I feel like I'm getting my kids ready for school in the morning. Don't they look nice? All right, so let, let's pretend this is you. And inside of you is your spirit. We'll say that Rodney is, is your spirit. And then inside of you also is, is the Holy Spirit. And so you've got decisions that you, you can have a co-witness a co happening on the inside of you. So if there was going to be a co-witness, then, then one would say, mm-hmm, 
and the other would say either mm-hmm or uh-uh, right? There's going to be either an agreement or a disagreement. So when you're thinking through decisions, should I take that job, that opportunity, someone said I could go to the Congo and work at a school and teach English to the children. It sounds like an amazing opportunity. And so as you're thinking about that, and this is your spirit, and so if this is the decision, you're starting to lean in this direction, but then you're, you're, you're paying attention to what's going on inside if there's a co-witness. Now, let's say you shouldn't do that. And so instead of being in agreement, the Holy Spirit starts leaning that way. And on the inside, you start to feel a, a tension. It's un- uncomfortable. You're, you're paying attention as you think about it. What, what's going on on the inside? Okay, come, come back together here. All right, let's say you, got, you have a, a promotion. You can take that job in Ohio, paying a, a lot more money. And it's a great opportunity. So as you, as you think about it, you're, 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 this is your spirit starting to imagine, okay, I'll sell my house. I'm, I'm thinking through. My spirit's leaning that direction. You're paying attention to the Holy Spirit. And if he leans the other way and you just feel that you can imagine what they're feeling inside this t-shirt. You can feel the tension, the discomfort, or maybe there's a co-witness and there isn't tension. Everything's, everything's just lining up and it's smooth and it's, it's comfortable on the, on the inside. So we want to pay attention to that co-witness because the Holy Spirit bears witness together with our spirit. Thank you, guys. I, I got you into it. I'm not going to get you out of it. <laughs> I would love it if we saw them in the lobby after church, still wearing that, still wearing that together. So let the peace of God rule in your heart. So in my mind, when I'm thinking through things and I'm praying about decisions, as you pray, pay attention to what, what you feel in your spirit. My dad used to talk about uh, when you pray, he would talk about it like a, a pilot and all the different, different lights on a runway that there's you know, hundreds and hundreds of lights, but if you've got everything lined up and the pilot's coming in right, everything begins to look like one solid light because it's all lined up. Or he would talk about just putting your hands on your belly as you're praying and trying to get direction. Praying about a decision, starting to imagine, okay, I'm making that decision, I'm gonna do that. And just being mindful of what's happening in your heart, in your spirit as you think through it and pray through it and be sensitive, watch, watch for peace. And people describe it different ways. For me, it's a helpful way to think of it, the, the tension and like, man, we're leaning in different ways, we're not in alignment. If that doesn't help you, you know, whether it feels rough, feels smooth, man, it feels good on the inside. The apostles talk about, it's, man, it seemed good. It seemed good that we would do this. Or it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem good. Peace is one of the voices of God. When we talk about hearing God speak, you know, God, God doesn't speak English necessarily. He's not limited to verbs and, and nouns and pronouns, that he has a lot of different ways of speaking. So if we think the only way I'm gonna hear God speak is he wakes me up in the night with a loud voice coming out of the ceiling, then we're gonna miss a lot of the ways that he wants to lead us and guide us Peace is linked up with the voice of God. And so we've got to learn to watch for peace. Psalm 85 verse eight says, I I will hear what the Lord will speak. I will hear what the Lord will speak for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to follow. I'm gonna hear what he speaks. And when he speaks, one of the ways I'm gonna recognize God is speaking is the result is going to be peace, but let them not turn back to follow. When I'm walking in alignment with the word of God, with the will of God, what he's saying in my life, how he's leading me, how he wants to handle that situation in my marriage, whether that issue going on with my kids, I need to watch for peace. And, And if I turn back to folly, I've sacrificed the peace that he wants me to experience in my life. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you. I don't give it like the world does. It's not limited to just how you understand things and the way things look in the natural and the situation being, being good. There, there's a different level of peace that we need to be aware of. Peace is one of the voices of the, of the Spirit. Jesus said, my words I speak to you, they are, they are spirit and their life. Peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So if I want to hear God speak, if we're gonna develop our ability to be sensitive to the leading, the voice of God, to watch, to watch for peace, pay attention to peace in our hearts. I wanna take a couple of minutes this morning and just, just to pray along those lines, to pray for sensitivity. Maybe there's an area in your life you're right now you're facing a choice, you've got a decision. We can just take a couple of minutes together this morning and pray about it and be sensitive to it. Or maybe there's an area you realize, man, I, I lost my peace when I made that decision. You know, I, I've just kind of toughened up. I thought it was, I was getting cold feet. I thought it was just emotions. I just kind of decided, you know what, I'm gonna go. It seemed like a good decision in the natural. We're supposed to let peace rule in our hearts, not promotion at work, not more money, not something that's gonna be, let the peace of God rule. That, that's what helps us make decisions. Not, ah, I thought it'd be a better school district for my kids. But we've gotta pay attention to the, the peace of God in our hearts. And if that lines up, wonderful. But when they're in disagreement, there's one that's supposed to rule and one that's not. And it's the peace of God that's supposed to rule in our, in our hearts. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.